Hey, all you cool cats and kittens. It's Dr. Keith here with another pod class episode. So today we're going to talk a little bit about instructional strategies, specifically models-based instruction. Um, in elementary physical education, we typically don't lean on models-based instruction as much, but uh, it can offer us some value in our, our instruction and the way that we look at teaching. So before we dive too deep, let's talk about and consider what a model is, because this can be kind of confusing when you start talking about what's a model, what's a curriculum, uh, what's an instructional strategy, like what do all these things mean and how do they interact with each other? So for a model, we can really look to the definition of the word. What is a model? It's um, something that we use to guide us and use to um, show us how to how to do something. So really all an instructional model is, is kind of a set of guidelines about how to pursue your, um, your instruction or your curriculum that, you, that you're choosing to, to use. So if we think about it um, basically as a blueprint, right? So if we're thinking about it uh, as plans for our construction, um, our instructional model then would be you know, the overall design of what our, our structure is going to be, be look like. So... Um, if you're building a house, these are your set of blueprints. Now your curriculum is going to be what materials maybe you use to build your house. But the, the model is kind of that framework that you're using um, to build it. So when we're thinking about using a model, um, we really have to be considerate of where we're working, what, what, what context we're teaching in. Uh, like I said at the intro there, um, we don't see models-based instruction as prevalent, or at least as diverse, in the elementary setting as we do in the secondary setting. We see a lot more multi-activity model, direct instruction style model. Well, direct instruction really would follow a multi-activity model, but um, a multi-activity model or a spark model or dynamic physical education as the, the more dominant and skill-based approach, children moving kind of... Uh, skill but themes approach in elementary setting but we don't have quite the diverse set of, of models used in the elementary setting as we do in the secondary setting and i think that's kind of by the context of the students that we're dealing with in each of these settings there's a lot more diversity in um, abilities and students as we get older whereas in the elementary setting we're dealing with a lot more foundational movement skills so that being said, we really need to consider the context of our students when we choose an instructional model that we want to use uh, to work with them. It has to fit our school's dynamics. We have to consider um, where is our school located? What does my student body look like? How many um, teachers do I have in the building with me? Am I teaching solo? What do my class sizes look like? What are all these contextual factors that you, you really have to dig into and understand how that's going to infect? affect your blueprint or your design you know and this can mean things uh like what's really the focus of the domain that you're working on maybe you have a a, a group of students who um are really delayed in their psychomotor and foundational motor skills so your model then should probably emphasize fund fundamental motor skill development or maybe you're in a school district where um you might have more behavioral issues, so maybe a cooperative games approach or a cooperative model that focuses more on the affective domain is more important to your school setting. So it's really considerate of the context of your school and the context of your students. So one of the big characteristics of 
a model then is that our model kind of has a theme or a focus uh, that, that the whole model is built on. So if we're thinking about some specific models, the sport education model, you know, it's really themed about around competition um, as the center of that sport education model where we do seasons and we incorporate lots of, of gameplay and sport into that, uh, whereas the uh, fitness-based model would obviously focus more on fitness education and more fitness activities. Higher levels of physical activity are going to be involved, less skill development probably, um, not as much game strategy like you would have in a sport education unit, whereas a cooperative game model, you're going to focus more on uh, students working together, students learning together. So another advantage that using a model gives you is not only do you have a plan, but your students have a structure, structure, an expected structure and model that they're going to have as their plan uh, when they come in. So it's going to streamline or, or allows you to streamline your management um, and, and the flow of your classroom. Regardless of what you're teaching, you're still going to have the same basic structure of your class. For instance, if I was using that sport education model, I know that my Students are going to be grouped into their teams, and they're going to have their skill practice or their fitness practice at the onset of of our lesson, and that's going to be the work that they're going to be doing during that time frame. So uh, that structure is going to stay in place regardless of the content that you're teaching. And this structure does one more thing in that it, it helps you to identify where you can expect to see um, issues occur. So if uh, you've got some consistent issues occurring in your instructional delivery. It really allows you to maintain that same structure for the model that you're incorporating and go back and work on that specific target area. So if you know you had an issue um, with delivering instruction maybe in, in your volleyball unit, when you transition to your next skill unit, you're going to have to focus and have the opportunity to focus on that instruction and correct what you had there and expect that the, the, the rest of your model carried through. Another good thing about utilizing instructional models is almost all of the, well, all of these models really have some research support backing them. And that means there's a lot of validated um, assessment tools that would be available for you to find. So you won't necessarily have to go out and Find all the assessments that you're going to need to use for, for whichever unit you're teaching. There's a good deal of, of research done. There's a lot of practice in it. You, you can collaborate with people across the country who might be incorporating the same instructional model as you are. Uh, and it really gives you a language to speak in terms of, okay, we're working um, within the skill themes approach. So we know this is the language that we're using in the skill themes approach. Um, what are, these are what some of the assessments look like in this approach. What kind of assessments do you have? So it gives you the opportunity to kind of communicate within your professional network uh, via social media or, or via whatever your local PLC might be doing in that area. And if you're all on the same page with the same uh, instructional model, it really makes things flow a lot smoother. So even though you might be utilizing the same model, I think it's very important to just, just stop right here and Remember that just because you're using a model does not mean you're a cookie cutter and everybody who's using this insane instructional model is going to teach the exact same way. Um, you still have to take into consideration the context of your students, uh, the context of your district, uh, your students' learning styles, your instructional style for that matter. You're still going to teach you know, in your unique fashion, but uh, this, this basic framework is kind of just giving us a, a set of 
um, like strategies that we can use across uh, the curriculum. So another factor that we want to consider uh, related to instructional models is the the idea of teacher control. So when we're we're teaching, especially in an elementary setting, uh, one area that I've noticed more so is is the the level of control that teachers have to have in the elementary setting is a lot higher than maybe in a secondary setting where you can uh, give students more and more control of the classroom, have a more student-centered approach. Um, So you have to fit into that continuum as you go through implementing a model. And that might be a consideration of the type of model that you choose to implement is that you know, your students may or may not be uh, to the level where they can take over and have more control of the class. So when we think about the elements of control, there's a couple key areas that we need to consider, you know, what our model is doing in ways of providing teacher versus student control, or, or is it more um, more centrist, where it's more interactive between the student and, and the teacher. So um, obviously the content selection, so how is that being uh, figured out is that all done by the the instructor or is that more incorporative of the students? Um, where's managerial control? Is, is the classroom management completely handled by the teacher, or are you in that more interactive frame where it's it, you're get receiving feedback from students related to um, classroom management, or who's in charge and responsible for that? Um, who does all the task presentation? Is it you know, the teacher up front doing all the task presentation? Do you have student demonstrations? Do you have video demonstrations? Is it a mix of both? Where does that fit into your model? Um, How are students engaged? Are you in small groups, large groups, individual groups? Um, Who's leading those groups? Do you have group leaders that are assigned or group leaders elected? How is that done in your your setting? Um, How are you interacting with the students that that are performing the learning tasks? Are students reaching out to you? Are you traveling around talking to individual students? Are you talking to small groups? Are you talking to large groups? So how does that interaction take place in your learning model? So this is all kind of factors that you need to consider uh, when when thinking through the instructional model that you want to use. And, and all of these models that are available kind of have these unique features. Um, a lot of them are related. A lot of them offer more autonomy to the students. For instance, like a sport education model. Uh, I keep reflecting on that. This is a model I've used um, a lot. So the sport education model, a lot of the control is put in the student's hand by the way of assigning coaches or assigning students specific roles that they're going to take over and that they're going to take charge of. Whereas a multi-activity model, for instance, uh, typically has the teacher maintaining almost all of the control and teaching through direct instruction whatever the individual activities are going to be. Um, another consideration is pacing. So how, how does the decision made to uh, advance from one task to the next? Uh, is it a set timer or is it uh, teacher progression based on, on student performance? Are students making the decision that, that they need to progress to the next task based on what they've done so far? So how, how does that progression take uh take effect and and then you know what do those progressions actually look like so i think the best way to really look at this is uh to go through a couple instructional models and talk about some of those features and uh how those can look the same for you or how they might look different in another uh model so i think the most logical 
um, model, and some people might scoff to say this is a model, but uh, the the skill themes approach, um, or probably more commonly known as children moving, uh, as the popular text would suggest. Um, but the skill theme approach really looks at the basic development of those fundamental motor skills and movement concepts that everybody needs to be successful in a variety of sports and physical activities, and then applies those uh, those movement skills and concepts to sports or skill-themed approaches. So um, if it's the learning of a game of soccer, how to play soccer, well, how do the, the uh, movement concepts modify a traditional game of soccer? So from a contextual standpoint, the, an important factor in the skill-themes approach would be then to consider that um, what children's abilities and their interests are rather than what might the grade level activity or a s- traditional pacing guide. So what are these students interested? So this kind of goes back to that contextual factor. What are the contextual factors of your school or your program? And one of the key things uh, of the skill theme approach is that um, rather than having dedicated units, not that there aren't dedicated units, um, the skills that you work on are revisited throughout the year. So uh, they call it curricular spiraling in the skill themes approach. Critical to the skill themes approach, though, is that the students have an opportunity to practice the skills specifically in isolation. So you would have some individual skill practice where you're focusing specifically on whatever that skill theme is before you would revisit it in a game context or in a small-sided context potentially later on in the year as you spiral and you come back to that content. And the major kind of tenet of the skill themes approach is that students reach a level of competency. So it's really focusing on that skill uh, progression, not that fitness and affective and cognitive objectives are not interwoven into the, the unit, but the, the, the skill competency is a major aspect of that. So we want to see people reach an actual level of competency so they're able to perform those skills down the road in secondary uh, education. So now let, let's compare this potentially to uh, sport ed, which might not be as effective of a model to use in elementary setting just because of some of the, the techniques used with sport ed. But <clears throat> if we think about the skill themes and skill emphasis a sport education unit is going to focus on the competitional aspect of, of skill performance. A lot of the skill practice is going to be done in smaller groups or in their teams. Um, <clears throat> a lot of the skill practice is going to focus on game-like settings or the p- game concepts that they're going to need to understand to be able to participate in a full-sided game or a small-sided game activity. Whereas in a skill theme approach, you really have an emphasis and a focus on practicing that skill in isolation over and over again. So then the natural progression for a skill themes approach uh, would be to start in that isolation setting, then combine that task. So if we think back to the movement concepts inside of that, that movement wheel, we're going to combine that with a variety of different movement concepts. So now you have a combination skill that you're practicing. Then you would take it to the next level where you would add in potentially some small-sided games um, that would eventually lead to a full-sided game. But the progression spiral in that allows you to revisit this content in a different setting throughout the year. Another key 
of the skill themes approach is the emphasis on differentiation. So um, if you're teaching a specific unit, you're going to have different challenges for students based on their competency level. Uh, rather than following, okay, this is the standard curriculum that we do for third grade, you're, really your instruction is going to be informed by um, what the students' current levels are on that uh, spiral. So uh, when you create a, a foundational spiral, and there's actually a lot of examples if you look in the back of your uh, children moving text or if you look in a children moving text, there's examples of these, these spirals that break down the foundational skills and look at progressions all the way to the top. So you might be teaching several different classes the same content, uh, but it might look different because your developmental ability levels in those classes are different. And then even within those classes, your activities might look different for one student than, than another student or another group of students based on their ability level. So it really utilizes that differentiational aspect uh, of teaching where you define activities based on students' ability. Now, if you're doing this, if you're really worried about an ability level and where students are and to be able to progress them, then you're doing a lot of planning as you go in terms of, okay, this is where we were in lesson A, so now this is where I have to go in lesson B. You're moving up and down that spiral based on your student's performance rather than, okay, this is lesson one, this is lesson two, lesson, lesson three. You're not necessarily getting to a set point. You know that your progressions are going to be based on your student's learning. So really by design, if we're using that skill themes approach, the teacher does have to be a little bit more center there. You have to be more on stage in terms of um, doing some formative assessments, seeing where students are, providing students with specific challenges um, on that, that curriculum spiral. Whereas if we take a look, let's take a look at sport ed. I know it's more secondary, but it kind of gives you a, a different take on things. So sport ed is going to start with basically trying to emulate a typical sports season. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean your context has to be a sport. We can still do fitness-related activities within the context of a sport education model, um, but the way that we set it up uh, would mimic a sports season where we have a full season. Um, we typically would have less exposure to a variety of activities in, in a sport education season because we run longer seasons. Um, there's definitely a cooperative aspect uh, as we, we tie students to an affiliation. So we put them in teams that they're going to work with throughout the course of the season. So they're working in specific groups over the course uh, of whatever the defined season is. Uh, the culmination of this activity is formal competition. We actually have these students compete uh, against each other or against teams um, in some sort of competition. Um, there's always a culminating event or a culminating uh, competition where we offer awards and we reinforce that effective domain in the sport education season um, by highlighting achievements throughout, by having some sort of championship. Uh, oftentimes, we like to award trophies or certificates. However, we can do that. We really try to make a culminating event in a sport education se season. Another major emphasis is record keeping. So, uh, tying in some of that cognitive domain and the relatedness aspects of 
um, performing in the activities is we, we track how, what your progress is. So this kind of goes back to that formative assessment. So you can really do a lot of formative assessment in, um, in a sport education unit, just by the records that you keep day to day in terms of statistics and skill performance in the games. And then implementation of uh, a festivity. This is really an event um, as we get to the season component of a sport education unit uh, where we incorporate that. So um, all of those are major tenets and aspects of the sport education model. So another major component of this that I think probably is the most, um, not the most important, but one of the most important aspects, I guess, is the idea of roles that students are going to adopt. So this moves students on that continuum from a teacher-centered design to a student-centered design where the students take ownership of specific responsibilities. So students might be a captain of the team where they would be in charge of running practice, um, making decisions during the game. They might be the fitness instructor who leads the warm-up and designs the fitness activities. They might be a referee where they're actually, you know, facilitating the game and, and calling, making calls and uh, talking, making decisions based on, on the rules. They might be a scorekeeper. They might be a coach uh, where they're designing the actual skills and the task or, or deciding when to transition between tasks. So it really moves that, that needle on the continuum from a teacher-centered approach to a student-centered approach. Um, and the teacher's got to make that decision based on that model where they want that to fall. So those are just Two examples uh, of instructional models that, that can be used, and they're very different, right? Um, obviously so. Uh, in, <clears throat> in this class, we've kind of looked at the dynamic physical education um, approach, curriculum, model. Mm, it's kind of a little bit of everything, right? In, at its heart, dynamic physical education is really a multi-activity model, uh, and Pangrazy might shoot me for saying that, but in reality, it's exposure to a ton of different physical activities um, without the opportunity to necessarily um, master a specific competency in the area. But kids are super active. They're very uh, active in all of the dynamic PE units. They do have opportunities for skill practice, and the way the curriculum's designed, these activities loop back similar to the skill themes approach. But the way that the lessons are set up and designed, it's designed to maximize physical activity time. So if we think about the, the these three kind of approaches and ideas, the skill themes approach obviously has a focus on skill development and skill improvement, fundamental skill improvement and fundamental skill development. Uh, sport Ed has a, a focus and emphasis on cooperation and the game sense competitive aspects uh, of competition and then the dynamic physical education approach has a, an emphasis on on physical activity and time spent um, in that academic learning time or that alt time uh, of being able to participate in the tasks so all of these models have something different that they can offer us um, if you look in Metzler's book on models based education he kind of identifies eight specific teaching models. And I'm going to have you guys do an activity where you're going to uh, research uh, one of these models uh, outlined in that, that text. Uh, I want you to go through and I want you to identify the key tenets of each of those uh, teaching models. And then I want you to post 
those back onto our Microsoft Teams uh, page. So you're going to find that, that link and all that information. I'll post that up for you. But I really want you to dive deeply into a model. I've got some, some a set of questions that I want you to respond to so that you're able to identify, you know, what are the specifics of this model and how can this be used uh, potentially in an elementary setting or potentially in your own classroom. And all those questions are laid out for you. So you're going to dive a little bit deeper into some models uh, that you might not have heard of, um, that we might not have mentioned in class, uh, and you're going to identify those. And we're going to share those on the Teams page. So maybe if you're, you don't get to see the, the specific model that you research, you should get a good look at one of the other mo models that one of your peers identify. All right, so that's all I've got for this uh, this little episode. Um, I hope you guys are staying safe, staying inside, and maintaining your social distance um, until we can meet again. I will see you guys soon. Mm -hmm.